0: Our scripture today is going to be in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there with us. Uh, But if not, the verses will be on the screen behind me. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks be to God. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Almighty God, we come before you so thankful for the gift of your word that we can always come to you and your word and you reveal yourself so fully and perfectly to us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with us in this space and time that that you would be with me. I'm humbled by the task that you place before me, this task of proclamation. I pray, O oh God, that you would use me, that you would work through me, and that uh, if there is any effort of my flesh that needs to be set aside, Lord, I pray that it would be uh, rejected so that only you would be left. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word, your will. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I ask in response that you would open our hands, that we would in your love and with your grace offer it fully to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's an interesting nuance to this particular text it sounds creedal. Uh, you know, we, we, we gather together on Sundays and we use the Apostles' Creed to center us, to root us in what we believe as a people, and there are other uh, opportunities that that churches exercise to use the Nicene Creed as, uh, as a, a foundation of what they believe. And the Apostles Creed and the Nicene Creed are creeds of the church. They're statements of what we believe that were affirmed by councils of leaders that God appointed for those due seasons. And so it's, it's a gift to be able to use the Apostles Creed and the Nicene Creed. But there are other uh, creeds that we might be able to utilize. Some of them are formed by uh, certain denominations or certain regions of the church. Uh, I remember when I was in confirmation growing up, I was asked to write my own creed, which was probably a bad idea because my creed then probably was closer to heresy than it was to faithful uh, articulation of God's word. And so, uh, so we have to be careful and humble when we enter into it. But there are, there are a number of passages in scripture that can be used as a creed. Now, I remember growing up, this was one of those passages that on occasion our church would use as the affirmation of faith, the creed for the day, 1 Corinthians 1, 15 through 20, and and, and it's a deep passage. It's a rich passage. It spends uh, most of its attention on the nature of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and and it requires our understanding of Jesus is working on a couple of different planes, which can make it a challenge to grow grasp and understand the fullness of its meaning. But this passage is, in fact, creedal. It opens up with this uh, this statement, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Beautiful, right? We have an invisible God who was made visible in the personhood of Jesus. When he was incarnate, made flesh to dwell among us, we then could see God. Before, we could only relate to God, to know of God, but we couldn't see and touch God, but we could in Jesus. And so that that opening is so powerful for us. And then it says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. And that word over kind of gives a little bit of a double entendre in the original language. The word over might also be used as like amongst uh, and so we would say, like, uh, in all that has been created, he was first, firstborn. But also this over has this, this, this hierarchical relationship that he was also not only firstborn amongst all of creation, but he is firstborn over all of creation. And so we're, we're beginning to understand that Jesus is not simply bound by our understanding of human chronological uh, nature. I mean, you and I might think in human terms, I could say I was born August 29th, 1980. And today is October 23rd, 2022. And one day I'll have a great coming home day that I expect, I just only want like celebration. Just we'll put that out there really clear, no tears, just joy. Like on my great coming home day, which I don't know the day of, but it is a finite day. There's, there's, there's a clear term to that day. That's how we typically think that there is a bound of human time upon which everything operates. But then we hear that Jesus, the word made flesh, precedes creation, is, is over before all of creation. And so we then have to think in like God sort of terms. Yes, Jesus was born on Christmas Eve, probably not December the twenty fourth, but on Christmas Eve Jesus was born. Jesus lived for thirty years, and then began a public ministry that lasted three years. Then he was crucified. Then he died. Then he was. Uh, then three days later, he rose from the dead. Forty days appeared to his disciples. Ascended into heaven. And so, like we could look at Jesus's life in human terms, and we could say that these thirty three years that this is that this is a A chronological human construct, and yet Jesus does not only exist on that frame of reference, Jesus also exists on God's scale, divine time. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, that is Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the beginning. Before any of us, before anything that we can see, before anything that we can witness in this world, there was Jesus. And as Jesus conquered death uh, after he rose from the dead, then he exists eternally into the future. Predating everything Post-dating everything in God's timeline, there is always, forevermore, Jesus. What an opening line. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. There is so much richness to understanding that Jesus is there from the beginning, and Jesus is there in our understanding of the end, which shall have no end. But then the the passage moves forward just a tick. In verse 16, um, we learn that in Jesus and through Jesus, all things were made. Let me repeat that. In Jesus and through Jesus, all things were made. It, it opens and closes the passage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that, that verse and, and invite you to hear that truth. For in Jesus, in him, all things were created. And it continues on things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, wherever, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We'll get to the for him in a second. But first, all things have been, were created in and through Jesus all things. Have you ever wondered why? Why whenever you experience the natural elements of this world that provide such grandeur and such beauty, that you have a deep resonant peace within you? That there is a connection in you that goes beyond articulation? And and, and if we ever actually wonder why, we might be drawn to first. Uh, we might be drawn to Colossians chapter one verse sixteen. All things were created in and through Jesus. What is the most magnificent natural experience that you have ever had? It's in and through Jesus. From the from the enveloping peace that is, at least for me, the Piney Woods of East Texas, to the surprising rise of the Chisos Mountains in Big Bend National Park. It's created in and through Jesus. From the blanket-soft sands of 30A, to the startling and stark contrast that are the black sands of the road to Hana in Maui. It was all created in and through Jesus. From the vast expanse of the Grand Canyon to the seemingly endless rise of the Grand Tetons. It was created in and through Jesus, from the authentic wildness of the Maasai Mara in Kenya to the glaciers at the highest peaks in Glacier National Park, it was made in and through Jesus. All of those and all of the natural experiences that come to your mind's eye whenever I invited you in. All of our experiences of creation are in and through Jesus. We wonder why. Why do we have that peace? Why do we have that resonance? Because whenever we see it, whenever we experience it, we are seeing and we are experiencing Jesus The Logos, the Word made flesh, we are seeing what is eternal from beginning to end, and yet having no beginning and no end, we see Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, and what an extraordinary gift it is for us. And yet, the the passage turns a corner rather abruptly and surprisingly at that last phrase of verse 16. That clause reads, and things... I should be all things have been created through him and for him. All things have been created for Jesus. And, and that's, that's startling to, to, to really connect with. But whenever we dive into the, the interconnectedness of God's Word seen throughout Jesus' life in the Gospels, all of a sudden it comes to light that, that because they were made in and through Jesus, they're also made for Jesus. So Jesus has supremacy in all things. And it connects with us from Jesus' very first miracle whenever he is there at the wedding party and he turns the physical element of water into wine. You see, that Water was made for Jesus and it would do as Jesus commanded. And at Jesus's word, the water would turn into wine because Jesus had a purpose for it. Jesus wanted to to honor the bridal party, wanted to honor the guests and make sure that the fellowship continued. He did not wish for that water to remain water, but called it into the form of wine and it obeyed. The natural order obeys Jesus. We see it whenever in Matthew there's there's two chapters back to back, just to be sure that we don't think that it's a recording error, where where we hear that Jesus fed 5,000 and then fed 4,000. Do you remember these two passages? The first, when he feeds 5,000, he gathers with his disciples, the people and and there's a multitude of people, 5,000, and they are hungry, and the disciples are wondering, what are we to do? And Jesus says, what do we have, what do you have? we have five loaves and two fish very precise numbers and Jesus multiplies for the the magnificent feast of all these five loaves and two fish because he knows that these elements are for him at his voice they will multiply at his will and purpose the sustaining and blessing of the people they are for him And then just a chapter later, there are 4,000 gathered, and it's almost as an echo to what preceded. in case we were wondering if it was real. And again, Jesus performs this miracle. Instead, now they have seven loaves and a few small fish, not a precise number, but it's, this time we know that they're small fish, not large fish. And so Jesus gathers up the, 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 the seven loaves and the few fish, and he blesses them, and he, and he commands them to be enough to sustain the 4,000. You see, when Jesus speaks to the natural order, it is for him. Whenever Jesus is with his disciples on a seashore and there's a multitude still there, he sends his disciples ahead of him on a boat. And whenever he feels it is time for him to be with his disciples, he need not take a boat because he just walks out on the water. The water which would make any of us sink is yet like a sturdy road of support for him to walk, to be present with his disciples, because the water is for Jesus. And then in another instance, Jesus is on a boat with his disciples and he's asleep in the back and the wind and the waves kick up and it is enough to make all afraid for their lives as though the the, the waters were going to overwhelm them. And Jesus is woken up and as he awakes, he speaks his word to the wind and the waves is be calm, be still, and they obey He says, I was there at the origin of the wind. I know the very depths of the water from whence the waves have come. I am God. And this is all made in and through me. And it is all made for me. And I am in this space a source of protection and peace for my disciples. Everything in all of creation is made for Jesus. Everything in all of creation is made for Jesus. But then sometimes we get involved. And we are glorious messer uppers when it comes to the use of, of God's creation. I mean think about it. Uh fire fire it was was made in and through Jesus and is made for Jesus and we we think about how it, fire might be made for Jesus that works for us right fire keeps us warm on a cold night amen i like it we don't have enough cold nights but when we do i like a little fire we got a little fire pit in the backyard i really like to light it I haven't had to yet this year waiting waiting patiently fire keeps us warm fire also it just allows us to just experience beauty as we look into the fire and we wonder from where did all of these grand colors come from. Fire is also there for cooking for us to feed ourselves, to produce heat that can sustain humanity. Fire is a beautiful thing. And yet, fire can also be used to destroy to harm, to kill. Sometimes when we get involved and and our free will is exercised as though it is supreme over God's will and providence, then we mess things up and fire can be used for destruction and for harm. I have a hammer uh, it's my favorite hammer. It's a 22-ounce framing hammer. I love to use this hammer because I don't, I mean, it's like you can't miss, and I love it, right? And so when I go on youth mission trips, I bring my hammer with me. If we're roofing, it's like a one-shot uh, uh, per nail. I love it. I thought about bringing it to, to use it as an object lesson, but I thought it might be intimidating if I brought the 22-ounce here on the stage. So uh, the, the hammer, the hammer can be used, to roof a house which can provide uh, protection and uh, from the elements for a family. A hammer can be used to build and construct safety, security, and shelter for those in need. A hammer can be used to deconstruct wisely and effectively for another purpose. Or a hammer can be used to destroy. I could take my hammer and I could come to your house. And I could swing it against the cornerstone of your frame and it would cause great damage and harm. If I don't grasp the kind of respect and purpose for which the hammer was made, then I can destroy and harm. All things were made in and through Jesus. All things were made for Jesus. And so I want us to get to a personal space and also acknowledge that you and I were made in and through Jesus. And you and I were made for Jesus. You were made for Jesus... And that's hard for some of us to understand because some of us have jobs vocationally, professionally that we cannot imagine how this could actually be for Jesus. I invite you to grapple with that, to lean into that because we were actually made for Jesus. There's purpose to our gifting, purpose to our formation, purpose to our creation. And God wants to use us for his glory. How are we glorifying God in our day-to-day lives What is your purpose? More on that next week. But first, as we come back to this text, in verse 18, it turns another corner for us. We open with Jesus as the firstborn of all creation. And then in verse 18, it says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. And then Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Now, you and I might be thinking, oh, well, there are other examples in Scripture where someone was raised from the dead, like Lazarus. Uh, what do we do with that? And I would say that there's, a, there's a, a very important difference that Lazarus was resuscitated. He was not resurrected, that he uh, was dead and came back to life, but he died again. Which means that he did not have life beyond death outside of Jesus. Just like you and I do not have life beyond death outside of Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. The one who lived and died and lived again and lived forevermore never to die again. He's the firstborn from the dead. So we have these two lines of time. He's the firstborn of all creation and he's the firstborn from the dead, this critical moment in history. And whenever we hear this, there's a purpose to it. Verse 18, if you still have your Bibles, you could highlight these two words. It says, so that, so that. It says, Jesus is the firstborn among the dead so that in everything, Jesus might have supremacy so that Jesus would be held supreme over all creation and in all creation. And that's an opportunity, an offering, an invitation for you and I as well. How do we, in encountering Jesus, the one in whom we were made and for whom we were made, how do we acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and say, now you are supreme over me. Now I'm giving my whole self to you. Not part of myself, not myself when it's convenient, not myself when I want to, but I'm giving my whole self to To you, Jesus, because you are supreme. You are my Lord. There's this glorious moment in Scripture where uh, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the final week of his life's ministry there, coming for the Passover. And, uh, And as he is coming down the Mount of Olives and coming through the valley into Jerusalem, everybody gathers together. And you might remember this. This is typically what we celebrate the week before Easter. People wave palm branches, right? And we have the kids do a little train around the sanctuary. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But, but one of the things that we might not give enough attention to is some come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, this is, this is a lot. I mean, it's almost like they're worshiping you. It's almost like they're acknowledging that you're supreme, that you're the name above every name. It's almost like they're saying you are the Messiah, you are God. Rebuke them, they tell Jesus. They tell Jesus, tell them to stop. Tell them not to say anything more. And then Jesus has this moment with those who doubt him, who have not yet received him. He has this moment, he says, I can't do that. But even if I did If I told everyone here to stop worshiping Jesus, you know what would happen? Even if I told everyone to stop worshiping me, the rocks, the very foundations of the earth would begin to tremble with a voice audible from the divine that all things in creation would begin to shout and sing my praise. You see, even the creation was in and, in and through Jesus and is for Jesus. And if we aren't for him, even the rocks will be for him. And so we're given this invitation. You and I all in this, on this earth are given this invitation to say, Jesus, you are supreme. You're the firstborn of all creation and you're the firstborn from the dead. You're the one in whom I have my being and so I offer my whole self to you in humble submission. And so what would it be for us to attune our ears to the praise of creation, to Jesus, our Savior and Lord, and join in? The creation sings of his praise. Let's join in that holy chorus so that in all things and at all times, You and I would be for Jesus. Lord, use us. That is our prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, what a gift it is to hear of this holy rumble of creation, that you are the Lord of heaven and of earth. And as the Lord of all creation, you love us enough to send your son Jesus on our behalf. Lord, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge that all things have come into being in and through you. And we pray, O oh God, that you would use us as your servants in this world. Be glorified amongst us. Be glorified in us you are supreme you are good as we enter into this time of offering we pray O oh god that you would be glorified in the gifts and the givers sacrificial offering lord that that as we together offer a portion of what you have blessed us with lord we pray that you would use these things for your glory honor and praise in our community in our world because it is yours first Last and forevermore.
0: We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.